Welcome, and thank you for viewing our weekly sermon. I'm Pastor Malone, and I pray this message be a blessing to you and help you grow closer to Jesus. If you'd like to know more about having a personal relationship with Jesus or to connect with us as a church, please visit westacres.org. Thanks again, and God bless. Well, amen. Hallelujah. Kind of made me think of our time in India, uh, Pastor Larry. They say hallelujah over there a whole lot. Um, so maybe we need to, to learn from our Indian brothers and sisters. They, I mean, hallelujah, hallelujah. Um, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible uh, to Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 36. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have those available in the pews. Uh, but the book of Acts is in the New Testament, uh, right after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Um, so once you found your place, if you're able, stand with me as we show respect and honor to God's Word. This is a continuation of Peter's sermon, which we began last week. But in verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. And you will fill me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried. His tomb is with us to the day. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, and that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Then Jesus, this Jesus, God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Let us pray. Father, I pray you please just be with your church as they receive your word today. Lord, I, I pray that I can be uh, your vessel. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit be the preacher this morning. Fill me with your spirit. Uh, fill this place uh, with your spirit. And Father, if there's anyone that's hearing this news that we're going to proclaim today. Lord, I pray they will come to this news 
with faith. I pray that they will believe. I pray they, they won't put this off another day. Lord, they will respond accordingly. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for that empty grave. And that is why we are here today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. Today's message is part two of the first Christian sermon. Uh, I call it the first Christian sermon because this is the first sermon of the church age. This took place on the day of Pentecost. and uh, It was preached by the Apostle Peter. With that being said, this is the first major event in the life of the church. After the Spirit came upon the church, what was the first thing they experienced? The preaching of God's Word. Now, this is a reminder that preaching... The preaching of God's Word is foundational for the church. In fact, I'll make this claim. You can't have a church without preaching. It's foundational. We have a God that spoke. He, he spoke creation into ex existence. He has revealed Himself through the speaking of His Word. He continues to do that today through the preaching of His Word. But this sermon began in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 22. We covered that last week. That was the introduction uh, to the sermon. It's there that Peter explained the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he did so by explaining the, the prophecy of Joel. Uh, explaining the Holy Spirit's coming and to declare that the last days had arrived. Now what are the last days? The last days are also known as the Messianic Age. So this is what Peter is saying. This is what we need to know. If the, if the Messianic age is here, that means the Messiah has come. You can't have the Messianic age without the Messiah. So Peter is making a bold claim. Your Messiah has already come. In fact, he's already come and done his work on this earth. His name is Jesus. Now, this leads to the main body of Peter's sermon in verses 22 through 36 in which he proclaims this man named Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. And Peter is going to explain clearly, he's going to prove that Jesus is the Messiah by speaking on four different things. He's going to speak on the life of Christ, the death of Christ. He's going to spend a great amount of time on the resurrection of Christ. That's why we've been singing about the resurrection this morning. And finally, he's going to speak on the exaltation of Christ, which we know uh, consist of his ascension to heaven. He begins by preaching on the life of Christ in verse 22. Look at that verse with me. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Jesus of Nazareth was Jesus' common earthly name. Uh, while he lived on this earth. It, it communicates his life. It also communicates humility. Uh, you might be familiar with the words of Nathaniel when we heard that the Messiah was coming out of Nazareth. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Uh, so we, we not only learn about Jesus' hometown, but it lets us know uh, a lot about his life. This name was also inscribed on Jesus' cross. John 19, verse 19, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. 
When people spoke about Jesus, they called him Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, uh, you might be familiar with, with Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Everyone was calling him Hosanna, Hosanna, but then they were saying Jesus of Nazareth. This was a well-known name. Everyone knew the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and they knew everything that was attached to that name, including the events that had taken place for the previous three and a half years. Included in those events would have been the miracles of Jesus. Peter says this, that Jesus was a man, uh, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. Uh, the word attested communicates, it conveys the idea of proving something. Uh, it, the miracles of Jesus affirmed and proved that he was the Messiah. And let me remind you that his miracles weren't petty. Uh, they weren't just little miracles. They were grand miracles. They were marvelous miracles. They were mighty. It wasn't just a little hat trick where people were like, woo. No, they were incredible. Incredible. He did things not just a little bit, but he did it to epic proportions. Jesus, he gave sight to the blind. He opened the mouths of the mute. He opened the ears of the deaf. Folks born blind, folks born deaf. He opened their eyes. He opened their ears. It says this, he healed the lame and the paralyzed. Folks, we still deal with those things today. And people still need healing. He raised multiple people back to life. He didn't use a defibrillator either. He raised multiple people back to life. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Lazarus. What did he say? Rise, Lazarus. Come out of that tomb. He walked on water. He calmed storms. He changed water into wine. He fed thousands of people on a hillside. I know Scripture says 5,000, but if you were to account for the women and children there, it was probably 20,000 people at a time. He fed an entire multitude of people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. These are just some of the miracles we have in detail. But if you just go through your Bible, you'd be amazed at how many times Scripture just talks about Jesus' miracles in passing, like it's nothing to worry about. Just move on to the next sentence. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Another passage is Matthew 15, verse 30 through 31. Great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. They put him at his feet and he healed them. So that the crowd wandered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. What did they do? They glorified the God of Israel. I like what John's gospel tells us in John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. In fact, John says if we had to write it down, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain all the wonderful things Jesus did during his earthly ministry. Peter mentions that these were signs. Signs. A sign is used to point to something. A sign is used to point to spiritual truth. Jesus' miracles pointed to the truth of who he was. 
In fact, his miracles were usually connected to his teaching and preaching. Before he, uh, after he fed the 5,000 people, which was 20,000, somewhere around there. I know that's confusing to some of y'all. After he fed all those people, did he just leave them alone and say, man, I'm so glad I gave those people a free lunch today. I am so glad I took care of their physical need. I, I'm just so glad. Be, peace of God, go with you. Now, what, what did he do? Hey, he connected that miracle with teaching. It was soon after that, uh, the, Peter, uh, the people came to him and he said this, I am the bread of life. He also did this when he rose Lazarus up from the dead. Before he rose Lazarus, the sisters were crying, saying, Lord, Lord, if you had only been here, if you had only been here, Lord, before he raised Lazarus from the dead, what statement did he make? I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus' miracles always pointed to who he was. Yes, they always served people. They always helped people. But the most important reason was to prove that he was the Messiah. And Peter reminds these people that they were fully aware of Jesus' works. Uh, he says, which you yourselves know. You know this. You saw it. You experienced it. And think about Nicodemus, the great teacher that came to Jesus at night. He says, Lord, he says, Rabbi, we know these works that you do are of God. And Nicodemus was a part of uh, the high council. And he was speaking on behalf of this group. We know these things are of God. Peter is saying this, you yourselves know. You can't claim ignorance. You can't say you didn't know. You know for a fact because you saw these things firsthand. Many of these folks witnessed these things with their own eyes. Yet they rejected him. And they eventually joined the crowd that said, crucify him. Crucify him. This leads to Peter's second emphasis. Uh, he spends one verse on the death, the life of Christ, and he moves on to speak on the death of Christ. Look at me at verse 23. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Let me stop right there and just point this out if you didn't notice. This is some bold preaching. This is some bold preaching. This is not the same Peter that just 50 days earlier had denied knowing his Lord. Uh, this was a Peter that was filled with the Holy Spirit. This was a Peter that was speaking with boldness and authority. In fact, he was preaching a lot like Jesus. Get this out of your mind. If you think Jesus was just this quiet little preacher, he was a man that preached with authority. And in fact, the Gospels say this. After he preached his Sermon on the Mount, the people were astonished because he was teaching them as one who had authority. Folks, this is the kind of preaching our world desperately needs today. I'm getting sick and tired of seeing uh, YouTube, the news, all these preachers apologizing for God's Word. We don't need preachers that are going to be constantly apologizing for God's Word. If that's your case, you need to sit down. But we need preachers that are going to boldly speak God's Word. We don't need preachers that are going to walk around on eggshells. I'm going to say this. We don't need preachers that are constantly trying to be politically correct. We need preachers that are biblically correct. We need preachers that aren't scared of the crowd, aren't scared of the culture, but they fear God alone. 
Because they are his heralds. They are his messengers. This is the kind of preaching we desperately need, folks. This is the kind of preaching that cuts hearts. This is the kind of preaching when you get back to the end of this chapter that led 3,000 people to be saved. This is the kind of preaching we need today. And I, I pray there will be some preachers that are raised up out of this church. Little boys, students, there are preachers in this room. Be faithful to the call God has on your life. I know they're here because we're praying for it. And I look forward to that one day. But listen to this church. When you come here to this place and you sit in this pew, this is the attitude you need to have as a sinner because we're all sinners here. Don't come in this room wanting the preacher to preach what you want to hear. You come in this room wanting the preacher to preach what you need to hear. Because if he's only going to preach what you want to hear, stay home. Stay in your pajamas, sleep in, go do something else. Because it's just a waste of your time. Okay? Anyway, I'm just wanting to talk about Peter. Was, he was doing a good job, okay? He was preaching what the people needed to hear. He says, you killed this Jesus. Y'all think I step on toes? What, what was this crowd experiencing when they heard this statement from the apostle Peter? Peter tells the Jewish people they crucified Jesus by the hands of lawless men. Now the Jewish leaders, we know, instigated Jesus' death, but his actual death was carried out by the Romans. But we can, don't get caught up on that saying, well, the Jews killed him, the Romans killed him. We all played a part in it because all of our sin was on the cross, Okay. But let's back up for a moment. Uh, we can't miss a very important truth that's taking place in this passage. It says, Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus' death on the cross was no mistake. Jesus' death on the cross was planned and ordained by God before the world began. This is the reason he came to the world in the first place. Uh, his death didn't just happen and God said, oh yeah, that's my plan. No, he planned it before it ever happened. Uh, Jesus came to this world to save sinners. This was the definite plan of God. But hear this, sinful humans willfully played a part in it. It was God's plan, but these people still played a part and it was their will for it to happen as well. What we see here is a paradox in the Bible. We see two truths that cannot be denied. God is sovereign, but man is also a free moral agent who is responsible for his actions. God's sovereignty does not take away our responsibility or our guilt. Don't be sitting in your pew saying, well, I guess I'm just going to go sin today. That's God's problem because he's sovereign. No, you're guilty. You're responsible. It's your will. No. The people acted by their own sinful will. But God used them to fulfill his plan. We see this in other parts of Scripture. It makes me think of the story of Joseph and his brothers that we see in Genesis chapter 50, 
Joseph's brothers mistreated him, sold him into the slavery, uh, but all those steps were used to put Joseph exactly where God wanted him to be. Wanted him to be at the pinnacle in Egypt when this great famine came into the land where Joseph would be a savior, a lot like Jesus in ways. Joseph gives us a glimpse of this paradox in the Bible when he says in Genesis 50, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This is indeed a paradox in Scripture. You take away God's sovereignty, He's no longer God. You take away man's will, we're no longer man. They both exist. We can't deny either one. And what's amazing, both of these things are found right beside each other in one verse of Scripture. You don't have to go turn here and here and here to put this all together. It is right in our faces. And I know some of us have a hard time grasping this truth when you really start thinking about the depths of it. But can I tell you this? Whenever I have a hard time, whenever my head is spinning around doctrine like this, it makes me realize this, I'm not God. I'm not God. I can't grasp these things fully because if I could, guess who, guess what? God wouldn't be God. God wouldn't be God. I can't wrap my minds around the depths and the majesty of an, in, an infinite, eternal, all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing God because I'm none of those things. But I share this, this passage of Scripture with you. Anytime my, my head starts hurting uh, from the Bible, uh, I think of this. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I'm sure, I'm so glad we have a God whose ways are higher than my ways. I'm so glad we have a God who is way higher than us. Because if that wasn't the case, we would be in a lot of trouble. Jesus' death was no accident, but it was a part of God's divine plan for the Messiah. His plan was for Jesus to die. But here's some good news. He didn't stay dead. The next verse says, God raised him up. That leads us to our next part of the sermon, Peter's sermon. He speaks on the resurrection of Christ. Peter spends the most time on this truth than any other point. Only one verse is dedicated to the life of Christ. Only one verse is dedicated to the death of Christ. He's going to spend the main part of his message speaking on the resurrection uh, because it is the greatest evidence that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, the resurrection is foundational for Christianity. Because if Jesus is not alive, we are doomed. Uh, John, uh, Josh said it earlier today. If he's not alive, we're wasting our time here. Uh, we're doomed. If he did not rise, listen to this, he's a liar. If he did not rise, you could also say this, he's a lunatic. He's just a crazy man making all these claims he didn't keep. But folks, he did rise. Because he is Lord. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And that word pains is usually uh, related to birth. We hear about birth pains. And uh, I'm, I've never experienced birth pains before, but they are painful and agonizing. Ladies, can I get a witness? Yes. All right. 
They're painful and agonizing, but do, do they stay there forever? No, they don't stay there forever. Uh, they only last for a little while. You have that, those pangs of pain and agony, but what happens eventually? That pain turns into joy because a baby comes into this world. A similar thing happens with Jesus' crucifixion and his death. He experienced the pains of death. He experienced the pain and agony of Calvary. But folks, it didn't have to last. It didn't have to last because he would not stay dead. He would rise. He would rise. Three days later, God would raise him up. Death could not hold Jesus in the grave no more than a pregnant woman can hold her child in her body. Once it's time for that child to be born, guess what? That child has to be born. Uh, a lady can't keep that baby in the womb. Just as a child can't stay in his mother's womb, our Lord could not stay in the tomb. It couldn't be possible. How is this possible? First, it's possible because Jesus said he would rise from the dead. Jesus said he would rise from the dead. Repeatedly, he spoke to his disciples. Repeatedly, he even confronted the Jewish leaders saying, listen, I will be killed, but I will rise on the third day. I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. You're going to destroy this temple, but it will be risen again in three days. He said that repeatedly throughout the gospel. So why is it possible? that he would rise from the dead? Because he said he would. He's the Son of God, and the Word of God always proves true. So let me get that one out of the way. But secondly, Jesus was sinless. He was sinless. Yes, he took on the sins of the world. Yes, he became sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But folks, once he paid the price, once he paid our debt on the cross, once he paid the price with his life, the debt was paid in full. He died. He paid the price. That's all death is going to get, though. It couldn't keep him in. It had no power over him because the price was paid. Thirdly, the resurrection is God's vindication of the Son the resurrection lets us know that God approved Jesus' work on the cross. Notice what it says in verse 24. God raised him up. These are the reasons why it wasn't possible for Jesus to stay in the grave. These are the reasons why. But Peter goes further. He does what every good preacher does. He preaches Scripture. He preaches Scripture. I shared that last week. Why is this sermon so awesome? It's full of the Holy Spirit. It's full of Jesus. And it's full of Scripture. Peter goes to the Scriptures. And in verses 25 through 28, Peter quotes Psalm 16, which was a psalm of David. But he explains that David was prophetically speaking about the Messiah. Hey, he's saying, listen, David's not talking about himself right here. He's talking about one of his descendants. The one that would take his throne forever. Look at verse 27. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. And when David refers to Hades, he's referring to, to Sheol. He's referring to the grave. He says, your holy one will not see corruption. What does that mean? That means his body's not going to decompose. His body is not going to grow corrupt. Moreover, he speaks of the holy one. He can only be talking about one person as the holy one. And that is the Messiah himself. Jesus is the only one without sin. He is the holy one. It says, David was speaking about the Lord Jesus. 
not himself. Peter then goes on to explain David couldn't be speaking about himself. Why? Because David's buried right over there. He's in his tomb. He goes on to explain this in verses 29 through 31. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn him with an oath had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Peter goes to the witness of Scripture in Psalm 16. By the way, up, leading up to these, this time, Psalm 16 was a mysterious psalm to the Jewish people. They, they couldn't fully comprehend it, but guess what? They could now. Peter uses the witness of Scripture, but then he uses the witness of his disciples, the witness of the people. Verse 32, and of all, and of we are all witnesses. Jesus' resurrection was not obscure. Jesus' resurrection was not a secret. And Jesus' resurrection uh, was not a myth. Jesus' resurrection was not legend. Jesus' resurrection was real. It was real. And it would have been spreading like wildfire this time in Israel. Uh, Jesus revealed himself to his disciples. He ate with his disciples. He invited them to touch his scars and his wounds. He revealed himself uh, to 500 of his disciples at one time. Moreover, he wasn't there just for a couple days. He was, Jesus was in town longer than the masters, y'all. He, he was there for 40 days. Over 40 days. He, he wasn't there just for a few days. He, just, he was here for the weekend. Man, you should have seen it. No, he was here for over a period of 40 days. This really happened. And there were witnesses, witnesses, plenty of witnesses. What is God's word called for? To prove something, the witness or two or three, he had way more than that. And folks, let me just debunk the theories that these guys were lying. Do you remember who the preacher is? What he did on the night that Jesus was arrested? Does this sound like the kind of guy that was going to live on a lie? No. He was scared to death the night Jesus was arrested. you think they would really live on a lie? That, he, that this resurrection was false? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, if you read about the apostles, just about all of them died horrible deaths for being witnesses of Christ resurrected. His resurrection was the mightiest evidence of all. The resurrection affirms that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And some folks today are just like, you really believe that? You really believe? Yes, I do believe it. I do believe it. In church, what makes it even crazier for us to believe in a resurrection, we believe that a man was sinless. Jesus was sinless, and he rose from the dead because he is the Messiah. After Peter preaches on the resurrection, he finally leads us to the exaltation of Christ. Verse 33 being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Let me remind you this sermon when it takes place. It takes place on the day of Pentecost. 
If you haven't been here the past couple weeks, what happened on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came to town. This sermon doesn't come out of nowhere, but Peter is preaching this sermon because of the Holy Spirit's coming. Because when the Holy Spirit came, He came in a marvelous way. And He was loud like a mighty rushing wind. Filled the room and then the disciples uh, dispersed from that place speaking in different known languages to where all the bystanders were like, what is going on? What does this mean? I'm glad you asked that question. Peter stands up to the pulpit and starts preaching this message. He's preaching this message based on the question that came from the Spirit's coming. And notice how this sermon goes full circle. It starts with this question, explains the Spirit's coming, preaches about Christ, and where does he land it? It goes back to the Holy Spirit. How is it possible that the Holy Spirit has come upon his people? Because Jesus Christ has poured the Holy Spirit from heaven, from heaven. Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and ascended to heaven, and from heaven he poured out his Holy Spirit. Peter then goes to quote another psalm of David to prove that Jesus is the exalted Messiah. He quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus even used that psalm to mess with the Pharisees. He said, who's David talking about in that passage? The Lord said to my Lord. David did not ascend to heaven in bodily form. We know that because Peter says, listen, he was buried and his tomb is with us today. But he further explains that this person who ascended to heaven is the Messiah. He is the Christ who is sitting at the right hand of the Father. The disciples were witnesses of the ascension. Remember in Acts chapter 1? They were so mesmerized by it. They were standing there. They would have stayed there forever if it wasn't for an angel that said, what are y'all doing? He's gone. He'll come back the same way. Y'all got a job to do. Y'all got a job to do. They were witnesses of the ascension. With all this being said, Peter boldly summarizes his sermon with a powerful statement in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. Going back to some bold preaching, Peter is making the boldest claims ever about Jesus Christ. The word Lord it comes from the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament was reserved for God. God's holy name, Yahweh. They would use the word Lord. So you know what Peter is saying here? He's saying Jesus is God. He then goes on to say, he's also your Messiah. He's the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, the one that came to save you from your sins. That's the bold claim this fisherman of Galilee is preaching to these thousands of people. Then again, he boldly says this, this is the Jesus whom you crucified. You crucified your own Messiah. You played a part in this. 
This, of course, led to a response from the people, which we will, Lord willing, come to next week. It was an amazing response. But I close today with this question to this crowd. How are you going to respond to the news of Jesus? Some of you have already responded to that news, but many of you haven't. How do you respond to the news that Jesus is God? How do you respond to the news that Jesus is Lord? How do you respond to the news that Jesus is Messiah, the one that came to save you from your sins? And folks, can I tell you this? It doesn't matter if you believe or don't believe. He's Lord. He's Messiah. But as the people in this crowd responded, I just want to say this, there's two ways to respond to this news. You believe or you don't believe. You call out for salvation or you don't call out for salvation. Some of you are like, well, just give me a couple more days. Let me do a little more research on Wikipedia. I mean, let me check this out. Let me do, let me do this. Let me do that. No, I've presented the facts to you today. If you don't believe, there's only one other, one other alternative. If you're not believing today, you just don't believe. So you believe or you don't believe. How will you respond to this news today? Let me pray for us.